Well, it started yesterday, and by this Saturday, it will be in full swing. It is the college football season. Now, for those of you who are fans, you love this time of year. And those of you who are not fans, you wonder, why all that fuss and why are people so crazy? Now, we live in an area where it's quite easy to see and to tell who is a fan of what team. For you will see people wearing their team's color, like big orange, like uh, crimson red, like uh, blue and orange. Uh, you also hear jargon going on, you know, that uh, is, is for a team, that, that call like roll tide, or how about them dogs? And sometimes you'll even hear people singing that wish I were on a rocky top. And so you can tell in this area what teams people pull for in the football season. Well, in the first 16 verses of Matthew uh, chapter 5, what you find is Jesus telling us and describing for us what citizens of God's kingdom are like. Now, it's not that they wear particular colors or particular kind of clothing. It's not that they keep their hair in a particular type of hairdo. It's not that they even use the same words, jargon, and phrases. But in these words of Jesus, in these first 16 verses, and the 10 verses you heard today, we get a description of who the citizens are, their characteristics and so today, we're going to take a look at two of these characteristics of, that mark kingdom people. Those are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the pure in heart. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jacqueline started down the road of talking about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. And I have to tell you, it just made me hungry for more. And so today, I'm going to take that on and pair it with this idea and this concept of the pure in heart. Now, when we look at these particular Beatitudes in this list that Jesus gives us, what we find is that these two Beatitudes, hunger and thirst for righteousness and purity of heart, have kind of a, a spiritual or religious feel to them, don't they? The others don't necessarily have that. Now, that really shouldn't surprise us because if we're looking for characteristics that are a part of those who are kingdom people, we would assume that there would be some religious or spiritual components to these characteristics. But what is a bit surprising here in these Beatitudes about the identity of kingdom people is probably most people then and most people today would not particularly think that these would be the key religious or spiritual identifiers of people in the kingdom. You see, in Jesus' day, probably the key indicator, identifier of those who would consider part of the kingdom would have been people who obey and follow the law completely. Or maybe it was people who do good things for others. But these have a little bit different feel to them. Jesus here talks about people who are hungry for righteousness which is an indicator that something's lacking in their life. They feel like they need something more. This idea of purity in heart 
isn't something external that you can see in something. It's something internal that's sometimes very difficult, if not impossible, to identify. So these are a little different. So I invite you to listen for a while and let your mind uh, work and let the Spirit speak to you as we look at these identifiers of people of the kingdom. A little over a decade ago, our annual conference was led by Bishop James Swanson. He was a great and animated, and he still, of course, is preaching, he's still alive, animated preacher. When Bishop Swanson preached, you knew he was preaching, and you probably got a little bit excited. I believe that he actually preached here in Ottawa a few times. Any of you all remember Bishop Swanson? Okay, there are a few in the congregation that remember Bishop Swanson. Uh, Bishop Swanson, when he, when he preached, he often used a word that for some reason has resonated in my ears and mind ever since he was our bishop. He would from time to time in his sermons talk about being hungry. Now, I'd never heard the word hungry before. And after hearing him preach, I imagined that hungry was a little bit more than just being hungry. Maybe it was what Jesus was after he had been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without eating. And the scripture writer tells us, the, uh, the New Testament writers tell us, he was famished. So maybe hungry is about being famished. But after hearing Bishop Swanson, I think that maybe this beatitude should be blessed are those who are hungry for righteousness. These are folks that have this extraordinary deeper longing for something deeper, for something more. There's a lacking that they sense in their lives, and they want that lacking to be satisfied. These folks haven't reached a place where they're satisfied in their walk with God. They want more. Now think for a moment about being hungry. Just old-fashioned hungry. You know, hungry, being hungry and hunger is something that's very natural and normal for healthy people, right? Um, you don't eat for a few hours and you feel hungry and you have a desire to eat, right? Um, hunger is just kind of a, a natural thing. We don't really control our being hungry, but being hungry has a huge impact on us. I thought about in preparing for this sermon, I thought it's a little dangerous talking about being hungry in the middle of a sermon because now some of you are thinking about your next meal, aren't you? I mean, just be honest with me. Some of you are going to go to a Sunday school class, and they're going to have this gigantic, ginormous cake there, and you're already hungry for that. Some of you are thinking about brunch. Some of you are thinking about lunch. But, but hunger is something that occurs quite naturally. Now, we can sometimes do things and have experiences that increase our hunger. You can be watching television and on the screen will pop this ginormous hamburger and the cheese is just, you know, oozing off of it and it'll make you hungry for a cheeseburger. Uh, or you can watch a YouTube on how to smoke meat and, you know, your mouth starts watering. You look at those, that guy taking the ribs off of the smoker. Or, you know, I can just think about my mama's cheesecake and start getting 
more hungry. I believe that there is a sense that every human being who has really the fullness of their mental capacities have some level of hunger for righteousness. I believe just as healthy people hunger for food and are thirsty for drink, that we as human beings have a natural hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think it's given to us because we are created in God's image and God is the righteous God. Now, some people, I think, suppress that appetite by attempting to satisfy that hunger for things that are not very righteous. Some try to ignore that hunger and mask it. And some imagine themselves to be in a spiritual place where they have really arrived. But basically, all of us have a hunger for righteousness. Now, righteousness is a multifaceted word in Scripture. Jesus let us know that uh, it was the basis of a hunger for His kingdom started with righteousness. Hungering for righteousness is for us a source of deep happiness in the kingdom. Righteousness was a big deal for Old Testament writers. Righteousness is a big deal for people in the New Testament when they wrote. It was a big deal for the Reformers. Righteousness. Righteousness has really three facets when you look at it from the Bible. One aspect of righteousness is this. It's about right living. Doing the right things, not doing the wrong things. Probably most of us, and the evidence of our being here this morning, is evidence that we want to live right. We want to do the right things. When you're in a conversation with someone you care about, don't you want to say the right things? When you're in a difficult situation and you're not quite sure what to do, you probably have a desire to do the right thing. So righteousness is about right living. Paul made a comment, an interesting comment in one of his letters. He said that he was righteous according to the law, meaning that he had pretty well lived out the rules and regulations that the Old Testament law had given Righteousness also is about being right with God. Being right with God. It's about our relationship with our Creator. Uh, in this area is where Paul gives us deeper understanding about that we are made right with God by virtue of what Jesus has done through His life, death, and resurrection. Being right with God is not a result of our doing the right things, interestingly enough, but it comes from our relationship of trust and belief in Jesus Christ. We're made right with God. 
And then the third facet of righteousness, it is about seeing things made right. This relates to justice. I have a friend who has been in relationships where she has been deeply hurt and taken advantage of. She has experienced the negative side of legal matters in this relationship. And she longs for things to be made right. And as I relate to my friend, I long in her situation that things will be made right. If someone hurts you or hurts a member of your family, hurts someone you love, you want to see things made right. There are things going on in our world that you want to be, see made right. And we as people of faith, we live with this hope that in God's kingdom, God is making things right, and then there will be a day when all things, God will make all things, put all things to the right. Now, do you hunger for righteousness? Do you hunger for righteousness? As kingdom people in the kingdom, we will at some point be satisfied. Now, purity uh, was a big deal for uh, particularly the religious elite of Jesus' day. Uh, their heritage of purity traced its uh, origins all the way back to the law of Moses. And if you were to go back to the books of the Bible like Exodus and particularly Leviticus, you would see a lot of those purity or cleanliness laws. And in those laws, in order for a person to draw near to God, to have practices of the faith of the Jewish community, they had to be ritually clean or pure. So, under the law, if you had, uh, had contact with a dead person, if you had contact with blood, if you had some kind of skin rash, and then there were a variety of other things, you would be declared unclean or unpure. And as a result of that, you could not participate or come into the temple area until a certain period of time and cleanliness and cleaning had taken place. Now, this wasn't about hygiene. This was about ritual purity. Understand, it's about ritual purity, not about washing your hands before you eat. It's about ritual purity. And that was a big deal for the religious folk of Jesus' day and the generations previous that tracing their origin back to Moses' law. Now, the interesting thing about purity in the minds of most people for Jesus was something that was very external. Something very external. If a person has a rash, it's visible. If you've touched blood and it gets on your body or some kind of discharge of the body, you can, you can see that. But here Jesus turns the dial a bit on this idea of purity. And he talks about being pure in heart being pure in heart. 
it becomes this internal state of being. Jesus understood that purity of heart is so much more important than externals. How you appear and even what you do. He taught that what we say and what we do comes from the heart. Comes from the heart. He said that from the heart arise murder and lies and theft. On the other side, he clarified that out of the storehouse of the heart, a person brings good things out. Jesus knew that the heart was the seat of love and affection. So if the heart is pure, what's going to come out? Now, I find it fascinating that it's hard, if not impossible, to see another person's heart, isn't it? I sometimes do things with rather pure intentions and motives, and they just don't turn out very well. Someone misunderstands what I do and get upset. That never happens to you, does it? The heart is kind of hidden inside. It's interesting, as you read on in the Sermon on the Mount, there's another section that shifts after verse 16 where it's kind of the rules of the kingdom, how we are to live, the outward expression of our faith. And when you read through there, you discover that so many of these things that Jesus talks about are matters of the heart. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. He says, I tell you, if you're angry with a brother or sister and you start name-calling them, you're guilty. That's something in the heart, isn't it? Something of the heart. People of the kingdom are people pure in heart. This is where we enter a real dilemma there are two aspects of this that make it tough when we talk about purity of heart. C.S. Lewis, the, the great uh, author, uh, great Christian author, profound thinker, he once said, I have never had a selfless thought. I can read all to his words, can't you? There is a corruption that runs deep into the heart, that shades everything that comes out of my heart. Even the things that I desire to do that may have at their foundation good and great intentions are oftentimes selfishness. As a pastor, I have a desire to see you grow in your faith. I have a desire to see this church grow. I have a desire to see us reach out in the community and make a difference. But sometimes that desire arises from wanting Dwight 
to look good and people think good of Dwight. In addition to this corruption of the heart and our hearts are not totally pure, we lack the resources to clean up our hearts. A few weeks ago, Patty and I were camping uh, near where one of our sons lives, and I happened to brush up against the, uh, uh, the extension of the hitch on the travel trailer, and when I did, I got this big glob of grease on my favorite jeans. And so I asked my daughter-in-law, I wiped it off as best I could, and I asked my daughter-in-law, who of course was, lived nearby, I said, can you take my jeans home and, and wash them for me? And she did. And she used a couple of different kinds of degreaser, and she put them through the washer a couple of times. But that spot of grease is still there. She did not have the resources to remove that grease. And I lack, you lack the resources to clean your heart, to clean our hearts. Cleaning of the heart is a work of God. There's only one who can clean my heart and clean your heart, and that is the creator of our heart. It is a work of God. A pure heart is not the result of human action. It comes only through an ongoing relationship with God as we open our lives, open our hearts to Him. It comes as we pray David's prayer that we recited a few moments ago in our affirmation of faith. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a right spirit within me. So this morning... This message is not a call to action. I'm not going to tell you, go out there and win people to Christ. I'm not going to say volunteer for the children's ministry. It's not a call to action, but it's a call to prayer. It's a call to prayer to ask God, God, give me hunger, an increased hunger for righteousness. Make me hungry for righteousness. And Lord cleanse and purify my heart this morning i invite you to let that be your prayer now you may want to come and pray at this altar you may want to think about that and go home and pray about it you may want to basically as we sing let that be the theme of your song but let us pray for you see god's children those who are part of the kingdom are hungry for righteousness and god is in the act of purifying their heart Let's pray.